This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shabbos is two days. It's two days. El this um, Shabbos and Sunday. El, we, we start to blow the shofar. Pretty scary. We're blowing the shofar ready on Sunday. So summer's over. Once it's once it's El, it's like that's it. And um, we have to start doing tshuva. We have Av, we have El. So. You want me to do not? It's tape. Ah, it's hold it up. Okay. Next Wednesday, Mitzvah Hashem, we have a double header. At 8 o'clock, with Rabbi Olavsky, the blessings of the curses. And at. He's only speaking for half an hour? We all, no, he's speaking for an hour. So, for, so at 8 o'clock, He's going to speak for mine, and it should not be on time. Um, <laughs> I, I, excuse, I'm so, I apologize, because your time is, is really, it's just, um, I haven't been here for a while, and it was just a very overwhelming day, which you'll hear from my share, uh, and it's just getting more overwhelming and more overwhelming. So I really tried to be here on time, but I was stuck in Borough Park, and I, I apologize. Um, so he's speaking at 9, and I'm speaking at... He's being at eight, I'm being at nine. So it's a double header. And Rabbi Olavsky's the best. I mean, he, he's very funny, but he gives you a good, gives you a good message. So we're looking forward to seeing everyone in Mitzvah next week. So anyway, it always works out. I think it might step out to eight. Then hello. Why? So what is this, what does this Pasha mean? It's very unusual. It's not unusual. It's the only Pasha that comes through with eight. See. I doubt Hashem Moshe, Bahayyeh, the B, the A, the is the word, you know, C. Look at the, look at, look at, just go through some passages. Vayishma Yisro, Ve'elaham Ashpati, Vayidava Hashem, Ve'atot Itzava, right? It's, it's, the A, there's no, Vayidava, Vayidava, Matzari, Vayidava, Vayihi, Vayikra. So it's very unusual, right? Ve'a means to see, means to look. So, I'm going to translate the first passage a little bit different than we're used to translating it. So the first passage says, look, I will give before you today, bracha, blessing, and a curse. We're going to change it a little bit. And instead of saying, Ray, look, a nice, 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 we're going to say, Ray, a nice, 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 Look at me, for I give everything before you. We're going to change a little bit the way to read it. Now, the Torah tells us that every single day, every single day, there's a bracha and a Every single day. What does that mean? Is the brachah to call every single day? Sometimes you have a good day, nothing bad happened. Sometimes you have a bad day, nothing good happened. What does that mean? So one of the beautiful translations on this is, a the way you look at things, no matter what happened, the way you look at it is going to determine it was a brachah to call. Guy gets a flat. Right, he's in the mountains, he gets a flat, he has to walk two miles home. 
Get a flag, you have a stairs, you gotta walk two miles on. Runs out of gas. Oh my gosh, look what happened to me. I can't believe this happened to me, I'm so upset. Or, hey, I haven't exercised like this in five years. You got to walk two miles. Or, hey, maybe it was meant to be the Khatra Shah and we had a terrible, terrible tragedy this week with the four girls in the car in Arizona. Terrible tragedy. We don't we don't even we don't understand these things. But you know what? Maybe if I wouldn't have gotten the flat, some car lost control on the highway. It would have been on the highway, and it would have been me. So the flat saved my life. So you, you don't need to hear more, right? So, so, A, the way you look at things will cause it even to be a personal growth. The worst thing in the world you can look at for the good, and the best thing in the world you can get, and you can look at a person who looks at things you know, half full or half empty, right? That's the famous saying. You look at a glass that has half a half a glass of water, right? And so some people are like, oh my gosh, it's half full. And other people are like, oh my gosh, it's terrible. You know, it's uh, it's half empty. So we go back to Abraham Lincoln saying, some people rejoice. No. Some people are depressed that roses have thorns, and some people, some people rejoice that thorns have roses. The age, how you look at things. So a person looks at things is the cause and effect. If your days are broken, your days are broken. It's so true. It's, it's so, it's very, very, very true. And I could give you many stories of things that look really bad that were good and things that look really good that were bad. Okay. So now the next person says the following. So we're all excited. Wow. Shouldn't give this broken a follow. Let's hear. Let's hear. What is this broken and what is this follow? That's how broken, says the person. What's the bracha? Asher tishmu al-mitzvah of Hashem al-techem. If you're going to listen to the mitzvah of Hashem, your God, Asher mitzvah of Hashem that He commanded you today, if you're going to do that, you're going to listen to all the mitzvahs, what's the bracha? What's going to happen? Healthy children, money, getting married, what's the bracha? Says the next pasuk. Nothing. Next pasuk says, Mahaklala. And the curse is, like the Shemuel Mitzvah Hashem again. If you're not going to listen to the Mitzvah Hashem, here's where, by the way, this word off the Derek, where did that come from? This Pasha, this dude's Pasha. The Sartan and the You're not going to listen to Hashem, you're going to go off the Derek. That's what I mean. The Sartan and the Derek, I should have listened to Hashem, I can make it today, we'll let us. After the Gimachim, I should let you down to you go after God, you don't even know. It's not even a Jewish thing. Right? You don't even know, you don't even know what this stuff rolled out, but you're going to go that way. So what's the call? What's the curse? You're going to burn Gehenna. You're going to die young. You're going to lose all your money. What's the curse? Next possible. Hashem is going to bring you there to throw. He doesn't say nothing about the curse. So the first prophet says, and the bracha is, you listen to what's in Hashem, but it doesn't tell us what the bracha is. And the second, and the second prophet says, and the curse is, if you're not going to listen to Hashem, and you're going to go to death. And then you go to the straw and those are totally Hagrids and Harevo. What's going on over here? The rabbi gets up an introduction and tonight I'm going to tell you the rewards for when you do things that are good. And I'm going to start telling you a story about someone who gave, you know, some, some odd story that has nothing to do with it. The Torah doesn't answer its statement. It's very strange, it's like. But it does. It does, and it's something that Kleistro has to get through his head. 
So we think, and I spoke about this last night, I had a really stark abortion last night. We think, and I, in the last two weeks, I've met more people, Jewish girls, men, I have met more broken marriages, unhealthy people, angry, depressed people, both the direct atheist people. I've never seen anything, maybe for summer, I don't know. But like, it doesn't, doesn't stop. And I think that one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that if I do something good, Hashem is going to reward me with something. If I do something bad, Hashem is going to punish me with something. The Torah is telling us over here that the reward of doing something good is the doing of the good. You don't need to get a payback. When you do something good, that in itself is the problem. So the Pasuk is telling you, it's not a question on the Pasuk, you know exactly what it's saying. What is the Brachot? Hashem says, I'm giving you a Brachot today and a curse. So now the Torah is going to tell you, what is this Brachot? What are you going to give me, Hashem? What are you giving me? So the Torah tells you, what's the Brachot? I should teach the limits of Hashem on my hand. The greatest problem is connecting to God and listening to His mitzvahs. That is the problem. Not if I do what I'm going to get rewarded. What is the biggest curse? That you're going to burn? The biggest curse is being disconnected and not doing the mitzvahs. That's like Klala. What's the Klala? In Lincolnshire. You won't listen. So it's not that the Torah is not answering. The Torah is answering what it's saying. The greatest problem is being connected. Atheists are not happy. People are connected to Hashem no matter what happens in their life. It's down to the Torah. I don't understand. You know, I don't understand people that believe in chance. So your whole life is connected to chance. You were lucky. You know, I, I was driving the car two weeks ago. I told you on a bunch of shots. This car was zooming head on. I, I was gone. I was done. He was going 80 miles an hour straight at me. drunk. There was nowhere for me to go. There was nowhere for me to turn. A last second... He skidded in front of me and went right into the woods, hit a tree, flipped, right? Two guys flipped out, like, and, they, and, they, and they, they didn't even die. They got out of the car and they ran into the woods. They were doing 80 miles an hour. So I knew that it had nothing to do with them, it had to do with me. These two, these two people were created in this world with Mazikim. For some reason, last month they shot us at 2 o'clock in the morning coming home from bowling. It was the end of Reverend Wallace's life. I had no shine on And the last second I could have broken, maybe because of you ladies, but I was sitting here maybe. She's in Shemayim, and she pushed him into the trees. It's very possible, right? I don't know who did it, but I knew that that was my time. That was it. There was nothing to talk about. These two guys were not created because they walked out and ran through the woods. So it wasn't about them. It was about me. In the last second, so I know I wasn't lucky. I wasn't lucky. I know that Hakadosh Baruch Hu did this for whatever reason, right? In the last second, he pushed he pushed his car into the woods for whatever reason. So I walked away from that and I benched Reimel. It said, Baruch HaTashem, thank you very much that, that, that you gave me back my life, that you did But you did this for me, but it was chance. I'm not making a bracha. I was lucky. Next time I'm not going to be lucky. So, so you, can live, you can live a life like that. It's terrible. It's empty. It has no meaning. It has no feeling. 
Never got a poor atheist. There's no connection. He thinks he came from a monkey. How exciting is that? This, this, this woman was sitting in my office today. She doesn't believe in the next world. A girl that went to this town, she doesn't believe in the next world. So, okay, so I did my proof of all my stuff. That's not important. But like, you're so empty. If this is it, if this is it, what, what, what did you do? What did you have? What's this life all about? Your tooth hurts, your leg hurts, your back hurts. Everything hurts. Like, you work, and you work, and you get some, you make some money, you can buy some food. So you get energy to go back to work. So you can go to sleep. So you should, you should get enough energy to wake up to go back to work. So you're like that little hamster that runs around in the thing, right? You eat to get energy and you go to the bathroom. So your stomach is empty so you get more energy. So all day you're eating, going to the bathroom, making money, sleeping, working. Hello? And there's no other world. So you just what? You're a gerbil? You're happy with that? Is it there? You're just a gerbil? That's it? Finished? You put you in the ground, you're done? Yeah. I'm happy. I said, I know why you're happy. She goes, no, you don't. I'm like, yes, I do. I said, because you need to get rid of the invitation. Because if there's another world, you're going to have to answer. But you don't want to answer. Because you know deep down in your heart that this can't be it. You just can't be what life is all about. So this tikkunim and little dude gulim, because they, you know, kids are coming to the world, they live for a week, they live for a day, they live for a month, and then there's no other world, so what's going on over here? So the kid came to the world for a day, he can't speak, he can't talk, he can't sleep, he hasn't done anything, he hasn't built anything, he hasn't cared for anybody, so how does that make any sense to you? So it's so empty. A life without God is so empty. A life without this world, without, without plants and trees and everything I've created, in the six days for us, it's so empty. So, there's one who said, it's very interesting, the plastic, because it makes, I said it to the boys last night, Re'eh! But if you don't look, and you don't see, you're on your phone, you're on your technology, the whole day, it's all you, Re'eh, you're not looking at Hashem's world, so, you don't see Him, and it's, and it's the biggest club in the world. It's the biggest club in the world, and that's this, this electronic world, that has absolutely no life. Hashem, why? If this is what the world is all about, then why not Hashem have to create a world in six days? What's this Shemayim Ba'aret, the Dagim, and moons, and suns, and plants, and trees, and humans, and animals, and birds, and insects? Why do you create all that? Just put it on my screen, Savior. So the Pasuk is telling us that the brother to see is to. Uh, Ruth was nice enough to give me an article today. Okay? So you think, it's going to be Wallstein, and, and, you know, Wallstein hates technology, it's a Jewish thing, he's prehistoric, you know, we call that, he's a caveman. I look like a caveman? Okay. But anyway, so, listen to this. As children plug in, it is up to parents not to. Let me read the whole thing, let's run read you very fast. Excessive use of computer games among young people in China appears to be taking a long turn and may have particular reverence for American parents whose children spend many hours a day focused on electronic screens. The documentary went junkie, okay, whatever. Now, let's do this. Chinese doctors, and we know the Chinese are smart people. They do very well in school. These are very brilliant people. The Chinese are not a dumb nation. They're very smart people. They do the best in math. 
We have the best schools here in America. They're the top of the class. But these guys are thinkers, right? Chinese doctors consider this phenomenon a clinical disorder. And I've established, listen to this. I knew this was coming, but everybody laughed at me. Listen to this. In China, they established rehabilitation centers where afflicted youngsters are confined for months of sometimes draconian therapy, completely isolated from all media, the effectiveness of which remains to be demonstrated. You hear? Rehab for your addiction to your phones. That's where, that's where we're at. Now, listen to this. The average 8 to 10 year old spends nearly 8 hours a day, 8 hours a day, with a variety of different media. And older children and teenagers spend more than 11 hours per day. 11 hours. Now, there's not a the New York Times, I'm not sure I'm right, okay? It's from the New York Times. So it's not some Jewish guy writing it. Actually, it's Jane E. Brody, maybe she is, I don't know. Right? She's Jewish, okay. Before age two, children should not be exposed to any electronic media. The Pediatrics Academy maintains that the child's brain developed rapidly during these first years. Young children learn best by interacting with people, not screens. Older, te- older children and teenagers should spend no more than one or two hours a day with entertainment media, preferably with high-quality content, and spend more free time playing outdoors, reading, doing hobbies, and using their imagination in free play, the Academy recommends. Heavy use of electronic media can have a significant negative effect on children's behavior, health, and school performance. Those who watch a lot of stimulated violence, common in many popular video games, can become immune to it, more inclined to act violently themselves and less likely to behave emphatically. He says here, Teenagers who spend a lot of time playing violent video games or watching violent shows on television have been found to be more aggressive and more likely to fight with their peers and argue with their teachers, according to a study in the Journal of Youth and Adolescence. Schoolwork can suffer when media time infringes on reading and studying. What they, what they, what they say here, which I find very um, unbelievable, listen to this. She writes, Two of my grandsons, aged 10 and 13, seem destined to suffer some of the negative effects of video game overuse. The 10-year-old, she's writing about her 10-year-old grandson. The 10-year-old gets up half an hour early on school days to play computer games. And he and his brother stay plugged into their handheld devices on the ride to and from school. There's no conversation anymore, said their grandfather, who often picks them up. When the family dines out, the boys use their devices before the meal arrives, and right after the meal, finish eating. If kids are allowed to play Candy Crush on the way to school, the car ride will be quiet, but that's not what kids need, Dr. Steiner said in an interview. They need time to daydream, to deal with anxieties, to process their thoughts, and to share them with parents who can provide reassurance. Technology is a poor substitute. You think this guy listens because she listens to my share? Technology is a poor substitute for personal interaction. Something that I've been saying, okay. And he goes into texting. You ready for this? 
children of the age 13 to 17 average 3,364 texts a month. I also feel like do that in one day. So it just happens to be that you brought this to me today, right? And I don't mean to quit quote the New York Times, but Lamaisa, the Goyim, they don't have time, they don't have time to go to Torah and spend time. Right? The Goyim are saying, we're going to have to have rehash. So we're going to take kids, lock them up for months, and give them a bit money. So the Pasuk is telling us, what is the biggest bracha? The biggest bracha is Re'eh. See, a noichi noichi is the thing of my young brother, that nothing happens by chance, that I'm the one that gives you everything in the world. That's the biggest bracha. And I think very much, and I was pretty upset last night when I came to get my share, had a rough day. So there was a, this past Shabbat was very quiet in the mountains. No, none of the young people were in Woodburn. Said, What's going on? Where is everybody? So they had, a, they call it juice stock instead of Woodstock, up in Jeff, Jeffersonville, which is a place near, way up north, in, in, up in the mountains. So there, a bunch of guys rented out a campgrounds with tents, and they had like 400 kids that went up there shopping, smoking pot, drinking, used the whole, like the hippies, right? We're talking the hippies, Mamashi. So there was nobody in the much of shot except for they, that's where everybody was. I was like, where is everybody? That's where they were like, and they all, and so someone that was there told me, said, Rebbe, you don't understand. Like all the guys, I'm not gonna get into what was the major group where they were coming from, but everybody's upset, everybody's angry at, at, the, at the teachers and at the system and at their parents. And everyone's in so much pain, like, Red, you don't understand. We're just sitting here, we're telling each other, you know, how much pain. Each guy had another story about someone who abused him emotionally or physically. And it was like, just like one big pothead body. And what has happened, and what has happened, is that our world today, and the generation today, and maybe the the one in between mine and the one that's today, took a very bad turn. Something happened that is destroying this generation. And I'm not talking about technology. What happened is that this generation feels very sorry for itself. I want to start a club called the Never Club. You pay $10 a month, you go to my Never Club, you get a button, says, I'm a never, you get a little cup, people, you don't have to worry, people put money in your never cup. What has happened is that no matter what trauma, and I'm not, I'm not belittling trauma at all in any which way, but the Holocaust people also went through trauma, and my generation also went through trauma, and there's really only two ways, there's only two ways to deal with it, one is you're right. Somebody hurt me. And I said it last night. It's not my part, but it made a very big impression. I heard this a long time ago. Somebody got up, I think actually with a therapist, who said that nobody can take your dignity away from you. Nobody in this world can take yourself away from you. Only you, at the end, could give that up. 
to the other person. What are you talking about? This person hurt me, right? Whatever it is. But until I give up, right? Until I give up, until I stay on the floor. You punch me, you punch me, you punch me, I'm on the floor. But if I get up, I'm not on the floor anymore. So at the end of the day, yeah, they can abuse you, they can hurt you, but at the end of the day, it's up to you to get into that inner strength. And I went through the Torah, and I showed them last night, and I said, Joseph Hatsani, he should have been on the Jeffersonville. He should have been a pothead. His brother sold him. To who? To the lowest guy in the whole tribe. And then he's accused of doing something he didn't do, they believe. They brought him to jail. The worst dungeon in the whole world. He should have come out there and he should have said, Hashem? Judaism? This is what Judaism is all about? My brother sold me. I'm out of here. What happens? Come down to the box What did Yosef say? Palestine had a dream. And I need you to translate it. And Yosef says, I can't translate it for you unless God helps me. And if you look at Pasha's Nikkei, every time he translates or talks to Pharaoh, he says, without Hashem, I cannot do this. Without Hashem, I cannot do this. And in the end, what does Pharaoh say? There is no one smarter than Yosef Atadik in the whole land of Mitzrayim because he's connected to Hashem. You see me? In front of you today, that's Havracha. That is the greatest Racha. So did he go through abuse? You want to talk abuse? Let's talk abuse. Let's talk about Avinu. Let's talk about being abused by your parents. Okay? Avram Avinu, Tarat says, you believe in God? He goes to Nimrod and tells Nimrod, what do they do? Tarat says, let's go burn him. His own son. We're going to burn him in the first. If you look at the Medrash, the Medrash says that the furnace, right, or Chasm, was such a fire that when they tried to take a Brahminu to the fire, the the soldiers that took him burned to a crisp. So they couldn't get him into the fire. So the Medrash says that Nimrod and Terah built a catapult. You know in the old days they had a catapult that would shoot the rocks and stones over the wall? So they built the catapult, tied him up, put him on the catapult, and shot him through the air, like in a circus, right? Shot him through the air, and he landed right in the middle of the fire. You want abuse? I, I don't know how many guys are sitting up there, but I don't know how many guys your father stuck their head into, into, into an oven. Okay? But, but that's what happened. And the Shidduch said that our brother Peter would not rest until... Terah and, and his mother, Terah, his mother and Terah were forgiven in the next world. He did not rest. He did Kikunim and all the, for the father who shot him into the fire. So if you look in the Torah, and I think that's what the Torah is a book of tragedy. It's a book of tragedy. Listen, today if a girl gets married and she doesn't have kids within three, four years, we're getting all depressed, we're getting all nervous, we're getting crazy, we're doing schoolers, we're alone, uh, right? Sorry, May was a pretty good woman. I think she was a pretty good woman. She was a tzaddik. Married that brother who saved the whole world. She didn't have children. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. She gave up. When Hashem said you're going to have children, she laughed. It was not like, 
Oh, don't worry, God's going to pray for it. will happen. Don't worry, Hashem will help you. Don't worry. But Hashem says it's going to happen. She said, ah, are you kidding me? So she was barren. Rizka was barren. Our emotions were barren. They were colors. All our organizations couldn't have helped them. They were Makasha colors. Right? Did they feel, do you see anywhere in the Torah that sorry, you may not have time to Hashem? Her only time was that my son Yitzhak shouldn't be with me small, you take him down. She had not a time to Hashem, but he tried to do one with Rutka had this fight going on with dinner. Did she start? She went, where did she go? But he didn't leave Rosh Hashem. She went to the Chathan to meet him. What's going on here? Did she become an atheist? Did she throw away her religion? The Jacob Rubino, who lost, I mean, what more tragedy than one man? He loses his son? He loses his, his wife, Rachel, at a young age? What happened to Dina? She's accosted by Shem, his, his daughter. We know we had twin daughters, but the only daughter that the Torah talks about, Shem takes, and I want to use the word, and he accosts her, I'll use a nice word. And then his two sons go out and kill the whole Shem and put them in a little danger, and then Yaakov has to deal with Mabon, and he says to the prophet, I worked that night in the cold and the ice. He, he came to Paro, and he said to Paro, uh, I, had a, I had a tough life and Hashem punished him for it. You had, a, you, had a, you had a tough life. I'm the one who gave you that life. You got punished for saying that. So who had a good life? I'm going to have a kind of good life. They threw him to the midbar. They called him a monster. His old children, Shalom, tried to kill him. Shalom's father will try to kill him. There's nobody in the whole London that didn't try to kill Melvin. Everybody tried to kill him. Did he live 120 years? He only lived 70 years. So don't have to complain. Did he ride up the hill of complaints? Did he ride up the hill of depression? Did he go smoke pot with friends? Did he go chill? Did he sleep for four o'clock in the afternoon and chill all night because someone did something to him? No, he wrote the hill. He wrote the hill. There's a lot of tragedy in Tanakh. The tragedy of Chimshan Agivar, where they poked out his eyes and they made him blind. And what he went through, and they made fun of him the whole time, there's a lot of tragedy in the Torah. A lot of tragedy. So why do we have a book of tragedy? And the answer is because the Kershaw wants to show you that greatness comes out of these places. And what happened in this generation, girls, is that this generation doesn't have any more greatness because everyone's feeling sorry for themselves. And the therapeutic world, the world at large, I'm not saying the therapeutic Jewish world, but the therapeutic world is a world that blames everyone but the person themselves. It's your father, it's your mother, your mother didn't do this, your mother didn't do that, your father didn't do this, it's not your fault. Be who you are. You don't have to follow any rules. Be who you are. If you feel like being free in the Torah calls it an abomination or the Torah says you shouldn't do it, it doesn't make a difference because it's not fair what you went through. You don't need to hide anything. You come out of the closet, go into the closet, stay in the closet, whatever you want to do, be who you are. For the whole world today, all of you are feeling sorry for themselves. It's everybody else's fault that I don't have money. It's everybody else's fault that I didn't win the race. It's everyone else's fault that I don't do my work. It's your fault and my fault and his fault. But nobody takes, nobody takes ownership. And a, and a world that doesn't take ownership ends up in depression and a pills. And you can't get into a therapist because their book's solid. And the drugstores 
give Prozac more than they give anything else. It's the most used in the whole world. Is, is, is it working? Is this working? What this generation is doing, is it working? So what do you know? When you're a scientist, you do an experiment. How do you know? How do you know? You look at the product. The product comes out right, and you know that went into the product came out right. Uh, I grew up 58 years old. So if you're 20, you're talking about a different generation. You're 18. I grew up. I still know all the guys that were in my class. I don't think one of them is divorced. I don't think one of them is divorced. You think because we're more in love? Because we are better in love than relationships? Because we don't feel sorry for ourselves. And we don't blame my wife, and I don't blame anyone else. I look in the mirror like, get up! You know, get up! Failure is not to fall. Failure is not to get up. It's the opposite. Every child falls. He doesn't start walking like that. But if, if when he falls the first time, you're like, oh, oh my God, go get up. It's not your fault. Stay on the ground. You can live like that forever. You can crawl. It's fine. You can get up. You're going to fall again. I don't want you to get hurt. You shouldn't. Are you crazy? You're never going to walk. Right? So you have to fall. You ride your bike. Yeah, you need to get a bleed. Yeah. So if the parent says, that's it. You fall off your bike. You're never going on a bike again. So you did him a favor. That the kid can never ride again? The kid struggled in the pool, he almost drowned. What do you do? You throw him back in the water. What do you not? Know? You're throwing him back in the water. You're like, don't. You never want to go back into the water. So my I don't know if any of my kids in my class, in Bar Hashem, Bar Hashem, Hashem shouldn't give an eye in her. Not one guy committed suicide. Not one guy. And we got beat up so bad for nothing. Nothing. They took us to the office by our ears. They whacked us. Well, my, my whole class is alive. Nobody jumped off the building. Why not? Because we don't feel sorry for ourselves. And all of us wouldn't be here because if the people came out of the Holocaust and they really, I mean, so I got to smack, big deal. I mean, we don't even understand what these people went through. Losing 13 kids. Losing, if my child gets hurt, I don't even know. I, I can't even understand to think. God forbid losing a child is the most painful thing in the world. That a woman who had 13 children, they killed all her kids in front of her, came to America and remarried and had a new family. That's nuts. I would have jumped on the wire. On the electric wire. I could never handle something. They didn't feel sorry for themselves. They got up and we all would not be here if it wasn't for them. It got out, the came to America and said, we can feel sorry for ourselves, and the whole generation can die, and then the Nazis won. They won. But if we don't feel sorry for ourselves, and we go forward, then we won. And I was talking to the guys last night. Yes, you went through abuse, and if you, if you cut yourself, and you hurt yourself, and you're depressed, the person who hurt you won. But if you go and shot yourself, I'm like, you can't take my insides away from me. My ruach is my ruach. And you hurt me and you tried. And I'm going to show you that you can't do that to me. What's interesting about Israelis. Israelis, one thing I have to say about Israelis, they do not feel sorry for themselves. I remember when the pizza shop blew up in Yerushalayim, Sabaro. Terrible. 
don't know how many girls and people got killed. A lot of people got killed. I was there a week later. Listen to me. A week later, Sabaro was open selling pizza. A week later! All the glass was blown out, blood all over, bodies all over. A week later, they're selling pizza. So I said to my friend, this is crazy. They just blew the place up. And the Israeli said, I went to the pizza shop and I'm like, how you doing this? And he said, we're not going to let them win. If we stay closed, they won. And that's the Israelis. A bus blows up, the two, number two bus blows up. The next day, there's another number of bus two going to the person. You crave it? Hello? More? Harmanuchos? Done? We go back. We don't, because they could not live. They could not last. They could not be a nation, right? If, if they felt sorry for themselves. So they just, they just don't feel sorry for themselves. And we misread that, that because when you're like that, because they're not emotional. They're not emotional. They're not, they're very few of them are, you know, I have some Israeli kids that had a bad idea. I want to send to, to therapy. By then that's like, therapy! There's nothing wrong with him! Right? Israelis don't like it. Why therapy? He should feel sorry for himself! Get up! I was a tank driver. The old, I don't know, the old tank driver. I was a tank driver! My son's going to therapy? He should go to Israeli army! So he's eight. <laughs> we can't put him in the Israeli army. He can go! They're tough. They're tough. They don't feel sorry for themselves. They don't lick their wounds. Very different. Very different. So I'm not, I'm not discounting. God forbid, I'm not discounting the pain. But what do you do with it? What do you do with it? So yes, it can affect you so much. And, and I had this discussion with a boy that went through abuse last night. He says, ready, but sometimes it's not pain. At the end of the day, if they cut your arm off, you don't have an arm. You can't say you be tough, your arm's going to grow back. So sometimes the, the abuse, the terror, the horror that they do, it, it cuts your arm. I'm like, there are people who get their arms cut off, and they run around the rest of their life without that arm, and there are people who get their arms cut off, and they get the fake hand, and they learn how to use it. It's not the same as a real hand, but they learn how to use it, and they go to work, and they get a job, there are blind people that go to work. There are deaf people that go to work. There are people who cannot talk who go to work. And there are people who don't go to work. That, that's up to you. That's up to the person. But this generation is just... The 350 guys complaining, you know, and, and what does smoking pot do? What does drinking do? What does all the drugs do? What does it all do for you? It doesn't fix the problem. The minute it wears off, I was telling them, why don't you want to hear about it because of Last week, Wednesday, today's Wednesday, so a week ago, Wednesday, that's why I wasn't here last week, Wednesday. So I went to the dentist, and whatever, a cat fell out. So it fell out, there was a big hole in my mouth. So I went to the dentist in Manhattan to put it back in. Nothing. Flew in, that's a two second procedure. He says, by the way, next to that tooth, you have a cat. So since the tooth is out, I can work on it much faster. But I need you to know that the cavity is very close to the root. Very close to the nerve. So we're going to do the work, and we'll, I'm going to try to save the tooth, but not any root canal. I'm like, I don't know, because it was Wednesday night. Thursday night, I was talking in Tubby, in Camp Tubby. Friday morning, I was talking in Camp Basiakov in Ferndale. Martin Chavez, I was talking in Willow Woods at one locality. 
Sunday night I was talking in Sternberg. So I'm thinking to myself, I got four days and four speeches. I don't, and I don't like the dentist chair since I'm a kid. I don't like that chair. I don't like that noise. I don't like that water spritzing all over me. I don't like that whole scene. So I had to go there until I have to go there, right? So I'm like, I don't know. I think we should do this cavity a different time. I'm like, he's already there. And he says, listen, if I wait a little longer, it's definitely going to the roof. Let's, let's give it a shot. Okay. Shine. He does the cavity. He fills it. Perfect. Everything's fine. I go home and stuff starts to wear off on my cavity. is not supposed to hurt. Whoa, it hurts. Whoa, it's killing me. Ah, uh, okay. Anyway, I go up to the mountains on Thursday. I'm mulching and and, 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 and Tylenol, and, I'm, and it doesn't really help. All that stuff doesn't help. But I have a hard special pain. I'm, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. Tuesday night, because both of us will one tooth, your whole body, you're not interested in hearing anyone talk to you, reading, eating any food. You're, 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 I was like, Thursday night, because there's no dentist up over that Thursday I was like, FD, I think you should chop my head off. If you chop my head off, I won't feel the tooth anymore. I'm going so crazy. Anyway, Buck Hashem is a big topic up there. And then this, he said, come Friday morning, 7 o'clock. Right? 7 o'clock. I went to him. And God was, this is the God of Hashem. So he looks at the x-ray and he says, well, on the x-ray, the root is not, the nerve is not touching the cavity. But x-rays are not three-dimensional. So really, the only way you know if the cavity, the filling is touching the root is if you're in pain. I'm like, listen, the cavity is touching the root. I don't care what the x-ray shows you, which is not like Okay, anyway, he does the, he does the root canal. There's a firm guy, his name is Farkas, he's Dr. Farkas, he's a So he's a firm guy with a dentist. How to be a professor, he's going to be the head of, the dean of dental school in, uh, in Toro, brilliant guy. And uh, he says, I have to tell you something. He says, so now you learned about roots in your, in your teeth. He says, why do you think, he knows I'm not a lot, why do you think I shouldn't put roots in your teeth? Your teeth don't need nerves. Your teeth bite, they eat things. They don't, they, don't, they don't feel anything. Why do you put roots in your, you have to have nerves in your hand because if you slap it, you feel it. But your tooth doesn't have to feel anything. It chews, right? So what, why does you put nerves in your teeth? He says, why? Because... If your tooth inside is infected, or it's cracking, or there's something wrong, if you don't have nerves, and you don't feel pain, it doesn't hurt, by the time you find out, the tooth is gone. Because Barofu put these nerves into your tooth. He says, but I'm going to tell you something you don't know. Those are the nerves in your teeth. Well, there's a nerve, he's a professor, there's a nerve that goes around every one of your teeth, through your gum, you know, not in your tooth, but on the outside. You have to be very careful not to sever that nerve. He said, you know why that nerve is there? He says, when you chew on something, your brain is telling you to chew, right? The nerve tells your brain when your teeth are clenching too hard. In other words, you chew the food, it's soft enough, but the nerve tells the brain, you don't need to chew it anyway, you can swallow it. So I was like, how could a dentist not believe in Hashem? You understand, you don't even think about it. You're going to bite into an apple, you're going to chew the apple, your nerve is telling your brain, finish chewing, it's soft enough. Chew harder. You're chewing too hard. I was sitting there, I was like, wow. I got to talk to my shear. 
that's not normal. So, Baruch Hashem, the, the root canal worked and the, and the pain is gone. I was like, I want the bench granule because it's like, it's like, A, if you look at everything in the human body or in the world and Hashem and I tell you about creation, you will see the bracha. There's a bracha in a, in a toothache. Because if your tooth doesn't ache, it will be an infection that you wouldn't know about. You get fever. Who knows that infection? That's why you're supposed to take antivirus before you do teeth work. Because that infection could go into your heart. It could kill you. So, yeah, it hurts. But it only hurts in order to protect you. But if you're busy with this stuff, you don't even understand that stuff, and you don't see that stuff, and there's no, there's no bracha in what the person does in life. So it's, it's very... It's very, very different, and, and we have to get rid of this attitude. We have to get rid of this attitude of feeling sorry for ourselves. It, it does, nothing grows from it. Nothing grows from it. Yep, you should, right away when you get hurt, a person should, for, for a second, feel sorry for themselves, but then they have to get up and they have, and, and they have to go on. It's a very funny story, it's not so funny. I had a boy in my class, his name was Ophir Karen. Eighth grade, eighth grade boys, I told eighth grade boys, parents to Shiva for 30 years. So every Friday we went to play tackle football. Tough guy. That was a tough guy. Play tackle football. No equipment. We had a field. We went to play tackle football. You hit, if, you, if you tackle the Rebbe, you get 20 bucks. So very interesting because you have like, when you're the quarterback, you have four guys protecting you, and you have all the other guys that are trying to get you, right? So I told the guys that are trying to get me, if you knock me down, you get 20 bucks. Every guy that knocks me down gets 20 bucks. So the four guys in front of me, Jewish kids, right, went into a huddle and told the other four guys, we're going to let you come through and get ready. And we give you the 20 bucks to give us 10. They're ready. They're in the business. They're eighth graders. And all the business is going on, right? But I heard it. So I thought, if you let him through, I promise you, I'll kill, I'll, I'll kill every one of you. But anyway, so this Ophir Karen, right? This is a big guy. Israeli. Big guy. Eighth graders. I mean, I got that big, right? And he's standing in front of me. And he's blocking, but we're playing on ice, right? We used to say, in ice, it's nice. In the sun, we have fun. In the rain, we remain. We don't go out to play in the rain. So we're playing on ice, right? And he's blocking and he slips. He's a pretty heavy kid. He slips and he falls. And he gets up and he's like, Whoa, Rebbe, my shoulder is killing me. I'm like, Ophir, are you a man or are you a woman? Today, we need to find out. If Ophir is a man, he's going to continue playing. If Ophir is a woman, he'll sit down on the side and be a cheerleader. So it's your choice. You want to be a woman, be a cheerleader? Well, you want to play. You're an Israeli. Okay, okay. Let's go. Monday morning, he comes in, broken collarbone. In a cast. Now, you would think, imagine that would happen today. They'd fire me. Right? That's for sure, right? He comes to class. Ready! I broke my collarbone. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, right? He goes, don't worry about it, Rebbe. Play good the rest of the game. Get it high with a broken collarbone. I want to play Friday. I'm like, you're not playing Friday, darling. I'm not letting you. It's different. It's just a different spirit. It's just a different person I'm talking about 20 years ago. That's it. Right? It's just a... I was wrong. I didn't know how about I would never let him play. It was like, it's just... It's just it's a, again, I can't... I can't I can't blame, I'm not blaming anyone who's in pain and, and doesn't want to do that. It's not a question of a blame game, but the mice, you're not going to get anywhere. 
by smoking pot and drinking and feeling sorry for yourself and sleeping till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you're, you're right, you'll be right, you will be right, but at the same time, you'll be wrong because you're just not going to get anywhere. You just got to pick your head up. And you, gotta, you, just, you just gotta pick your head up and you just gotta go on. And I think that that's the problem with our generation. Our generation today, it's everybody's fault. So what? So it is everybody's fault. But for me not getting back up, that's my fault. It's your fault you knocked me down on the floor. It's your fault you tripped me and I fell. Yeah, it's your fault. I agree. You did that to me. But that I didn't get up, I did that to you. It's my fault. And I think that Individually, I can't. I'm not going. I'm not about to change the whole generation. But individually, it's just something that that we all we all have to do. We have to get up. We have to go inside ourselves, and we have to see the bracha and the greatest bracha that exists in the world. Trust me, the greatest bracha, the most fulfillment, is being connected to God, because we're a piece of Him. And if you disconnect the piece of your brain from your brain, right, then that piece of the brain that you disconnected is dead. The brain's still the brain, but the piece that you took out. But we're part of this, not brain, we're part of this neshama, this hakarim bar, we're all part of it. You cut yourself away from it. She's not here in the chama. The chama was away from it. And what happened in the end of her life, in the last seven years of her life, the transformation, honestly, I have to tell you that when I first met her, maybe she did feel a little bit sorry for herself. She went through a very, very hard life. But by the time Nechama left this world, she always used to tell me, I had it hard, Rabbi, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse to stop writing. It's not an excuse to stop hoping. She she did her tikkun. It's very sad that we lost her. She did her tikkun. She finished what she needed to do here. And that's the bracha and the koma. And I see it, I guess I was very emotional two weeks ago because it's a very empty seat and it's a very, very big void. But at the same time, I'm rejoicing about her life. I'm not, I'm not crying about her death. I, I flipped that switch in my head. Baruch Hashem, how many people leave this world the way she left this world? She left this world and, and her and her, her, her Levaya and Beisach Baruch and how everything worked out, the way it worked out, shows you who she was. Nothing to talk about. She would have been great if she would have been alive to hear this week's parsha. Because there's no one in the world that I know that would have said the greatest Baruch in the world is finding God. I don't think I know anyone else that would have said that more than her. And that is what the Pasuk is telling us. So I just want to end with a story, a very short story. And the story was about a miser. And it's a very cute story. There's a Pasuk in this week's parasha that says, I came, therefore, I command you, lay more saying, open your hand, your brother, and that's all the poor people. So the question they asked is, why did it say Lamar? I'm commanding you to open your hand. What's this Lamar? What's this saying? He says a story about this miser who was on a boat. And the boat capsized. And he drowned. And the other guy in the boat wants to save him. Right? So he puts out his hand. Some of you might have heard this. He puts out his hand 
and he tells the guy who's drowning, the miser, you're drowning, give me your hand. Give me your hand. And the miser's like, no. He's like, are you crazy? You're going to die. Give me your hand. And the miser's like, no. And the guy's thinking, what is he, a sugar? I know he's a miser, but, right? And all of a sudden, he goes, oh, I'm saying the wrong thing. He goes, take my hand. And the guy jumps and grabs his hand. Why? Because the word give, the miser never reacted in his life to the word give. He only reacted to the word take. So the guy saying give, give, I don't give nothing. I'm not giving you my hand. And he said, hey, he right away jumped at it. So he says over here, he says the nimshal is that it's not good enough to give tzedakah. A person has to talk about it. You have to talk about the chesed. You have to talk to your family. You have to talk to your kids. You have to talk to yourself. You have to talk about it. You have to become part of it. Because the Chavetz Chaim said it's very hard. In his day, there used to be a teller for deposits and a teller for withdrawal. So a guy came to the Chavetz Chaim and said, which job should I take? The deposits or the withdrawal? Right? He said, take the withdrawal. Why? Much more deposits than there are withdrawal. He says, because deposits, you're taking their money. You're taking the person's money. Withdrawal, you're giving them money. He said, if you're going to keep taking, taking, it's going to make you into a taker. But if you're giving, 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 even job, even in a job, you're giving, 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 you'll end up being given. So, my bracha to everyone here is, you should Hashem to give you the inner strength and that you should never, ever allow anyone in this world, anyone, no matter what or who they are, take from you yourself. Take who you are. And remember that nobody can do that. Nobody. Only you can give it to them. They cannot take it. But if you hold on to it, nobody can take it. If you let go of it, everybody can take it. And we need to be proud. A girl, right before I came here, a girl called me, I'm going to change the state because her parents listened to my shiurim. So I'm going to change the state. She's, she's in a anorexic in a, in, a, in a hospital for anorexia and I'm going to call it South Dakota it's not South Dakota but we're going to call it South Dakota she called me tonight on my way to this year I never spoke to this girl in my life she said I want to speak to you for a couple of minutes I'm like I'm driving sure she said <coughs> I grew up as a Bessiaco girl and I'm, I'm, I'm sliding I'm, I'm slipping I need your help over here I said what, why are you slipping she said because when I grew up you know I was taught that claim are no good and they're bad and they're this and they're that and they're the other thing and really the people that are working with me all the therapists they're the sweetest nicest kind gentle people in the world and I'm beginning to question if what they taught me in school wasn't true about that then maybe some of the other stuff they taught me you hear what's going on here? she said but the thing that I'm dealing with the, with the most is I'm the only Jew here and I'm different. And I don't know. There's a certain feeling that they're giving me that I'm not comfortable with. I said, well, you're in a Christian rehab. They respect Judaism very much. She says, I, I know that. She says, but I don't know. They look at me different. I don't understand. I'm just, I just feel very different. So I said to her that, first of all, 
There's a mission here, Gavis, and everyone needs to know this. And I don't know why, you know, we're brought up this way, or some people brought up, I wasn't brought up this way, that non-Jewish people are bad. Non-Jewish people, the mission says, are created in the image of God. So you're calling God, the mission says, that Adam was created, right, in the image of God. So you, if they're bad, then God's bad. So the mission doesn't say that they're bad. The mission says that we're bad, my Shem. But they're the image of God. So that's shown. They are not bad. They're different. We might be different. They're not bad. The mission says they're telling our kid. You can't walk around and say, telling our kid is bad. So that's nonsense. Okay, they're not bad. It could be the reason that we, so that we don't assimilate, so we build up this wall. But the Misa doesn't say that he be telling our kid. He be saying that she never be telling Adam. A person, right, is chavir. She never be telling. She never can tell her like the mother I created all of you in, in the tongue of the king. So, so we're, they're not bad. Okay, that's number one. Number two, no matter how much therapy we do, we have an ashama. So no, so no matter how much you fix my head up here, and no matter how much medicine you give to my physical body, if you don't fix my soul, because that's part of this machine, part of the engine, you don't fix that part of the engine, there's a void. There's a void that's not being fixed. And that's a very big challenge for non-Jewish people because they don't understand that part of the machine. They don't understand that part of the void. So I explained to him when I got here, I said, being different doesn't bother them. There are Muslims covered in this rehab. They fast for 40 days. They don't eat pigs. They don't even touch a football. If they were pigs, we don't have that. They don't touch anything from pig, right? But they don't have a feeling in the rehab that they're, that they're so different. They're very accepted. I said, the neshama of a Jew, nobody but a Jew can understand. So there's something, I told this girl, there's something about you, not that you don't eat hazard or you want to wear skirts. There's something about you that no one else there can understand. And when you are with, you are with someone that you don't understand, it freaks you out subconsciously. It's like, why is she different? Why do I feel this aura, whatever's coming out of this person? I'm uncomfortable because it's not that she's wearing a headdress or she's not eating pig or all that. There's something else in this person that I don't get. I said, and that, that's because you're a boss's role. So you don't want to give that up because she was very scared. She's beginning because she's so different to beginning to like fall into that and like, I'm like just the opposite when you wear a crown and a gown and you're the princess you're different and everybody looks at you and you're different and sometimes you're in awe and sometimes they're a little scared of you and something because you're a princess whatever it is I said wouldn't it be foolish for the princess to take off her gown and everything because she's so different just the opposite the difference that she feels is that she's royalty so I told her it's the last word looking into the gym. I said you know what's different when you're sitting here? She's very upset because she feels different because she's not part of the camera. I said, the difference that you feel, I'm walking into share, I'm going to hang up. The difference that you feel is that you're royalty. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. If you see me, before you every single day, then the bracha, the greatest bracha I can give you, Hashem says, is not that you're going to have a family of millions of dollars and all that. The greatest bracha I can give you is that you keep the mitzvahs and you keep the tires and you're connected to me. We will all be zayka to have that bracha. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.